0: You're listening to The Right Process, a podcast in which one writer tells the story of creating one work from concept to completion. I'm your host, Charlie Jensen. The Right Process is brought to you by the Writers Program at UCLA Extension, helping you reach your writing goals one page at a time. Enroll now at uclaextension.edu.
1: Hi, my name is Zach Hug, and I'm a television writer and a freelancer, and I teach at the UCLA Extension.
0: Zach Hug is a former digital executive turned full-time writer type. Credits include television shows such as Drop Dead Diva and Shadowhunters, and production of plays in the Williamstown and New York Fringe Theater festivals. In 2016, Zach won an Indie Series Award for Best Writing in a Comedy alongside Jim Rash for his web series These People, which you can watch in its entirety online. He is currently at work on a Christmas movie for the Hallmark Channel and teaches beginning spec script writing at UCLA Extension.
1: Writing this episode taught me where to find myself in work that is created by someone else in a lot of ways. Where do I relate to um, an 18-year-old girl who I I don't have a lot in common with, except we both lived in Brooklyn once. I don't. I don't have a lot in common with her, but finding myself in there and going, Oh, grief just hurts. That part of it made me much more confident about writing somewhere else. Made me much more confident about um writing on assignment, taking someone's characters and saying, Yes, I can I can help you develop this. I can develop the relationship between this person and this person.
0: Shadow Hunters follows the adventures of Clary Frey, who is half angel, half human. That's a shadow hunter, see, they're here, living among us, trying to protect the world from demons. In a previous episode, Clary's mother had been killed by a fellow shadow hunter who happened to be possessed at the time. Episode 205, entitled Dust and Shadows, tells the story of Clary's delayed grief as she tracks down a warlock named Iris Rouse who is said to be able to bring people back from the dead. All that as her childhood best friend Simon comes out of the closet to his mother, not as gay but as a vampire.
1: When we started breaking the second season of Shadowhunters, we knew pretty early on that we were going to kill Clary's mother. We really wanted to break her in some way. We wanted to crack that character open, and and, uh, the death of a parent really does that. We were assigned episodes based on a little bit of timing and a little bit of what we responded to the most, and certainly... I think my my wheelhouse in the show was in family dynamics. I was not a strong genre writer. I'd, I'd read a lot of it, and I had participated in a lot of discussions of it, but I never had written much genre, and so to start on a show that has all these fantasy elements, my entry point was definitely in dialogue and character as pertained to the family. What I remember the first conversation we had about the episode was that we didn't want to start with the funeral, that starting with a funeral takes all the emotion out of it and that led us into this idea of your your grief is delayed by this hope, by this idea that you're, you're so in disbelief that someone has died that you look for a way to make that not true and so we invented this warlock um, named Iris Rouse who is a character that I r- remain exceedingly proud of. So the episode started coming together uh, we knew that the, the the A story was Clary trying to raise her mother from the dead, and we knew that that would go awry. The B story was about her best friend, Simon. He'd been turned into a vampire in the previous season. We had this character, Alec, who had actually killed Clary's mom when he was possessed by a demon. And I think the hard thing about writing an ensemble show is that you've got seven main characters. It, it, there's so many stories happening at all times, and it's episode five of ten in that particular half of the season, and so you're you're really trying to serve as everything and to carry all these threads through. I was terrified that I w- wouldn't write the outline well. I was never an outliner until I went to grad school. And then I learned that uh, someone just said to me, outlining is writing. And I went, oh, damn it. And now I outline everything. Uh, and now I teach outlining. So it's, you do learn the value of it, particularly in TV writers' rooms. Everyone in the room works very hard to make sure that the story works. There are ideas you love, there's ideas you don't love. All of those things kind of fall into your lap, and then you go off and you have to write this document in four or five days that takes all of those ideas, makes them sound coherent, and then you have to sell them to the network. It's really where you end up getting credit for the episode, is that you've wrangled all of those things into a story. In that process, you also learn what didn't get talked about in the room, that there's moments that don't make any sense now that you have to put a story to them. And and you're also working in a medium that is based on how well an actor interprets what it is that you're creating. And that's from the script, which you're still not to yet. So you you are trying to convey all this emotion and visual information in a document that has to be very succinct and yet also visual and emotionally cogent. It, it, it's an overwhelming scary thing for a first-time staff writer to, to do. And the first time I did it on Drop Dead Diva, I had the Engelberg sisters writing it right next to me and basically got me through it. And this one, I was on my own. I learned most of my writing skills, I think, from theater, from, Im- from improv and then you write down what happens. I've never had an interest in performing improv so much as it's... I like the, the village of people who live in my head. I find then when I'm outlining that that process goes away entirely, and it's just mathematical equations for myself. It's the calculus of if this happens, then this happens, then this happens. and And it feels at times like I am trying to hide that information from the characters in some way. I don't want their input at that point. I want to go away and say here's the here's the way that it's going to work best structurally so I did it in four days it was super fun um and terrifying and I didn't sleep much a lot of writers like to go home to do that I I had to go into the office or I would just spend four days doing the dishes and going well let me think about this um but I stayed in my little office and I would go into the room every now and then and say hey I have a question can someone we talked about this does anyone have a pitch for this and very smart writers who were all had been at it much longer than me read draft upon draft and and helped me get through it and when I turned it in it was okay. My bosses took it and made it wonderful. They sent it to the network it came back and um, there were there were a few changes but nothing major. So they sent me off to write the script and again I had to do it in the office. I did I think take a few days to go to a coffee shop because I wanted to clear my head. I realized one of the things that I had done wrong was... I hadn't necessarily connected emotionally to the idea of the grief and the loss within it. And now that I'm writing dialogue for it, I should probably figure out how to get in touch with that. And what was nice was that I I keep pretty good journals of, of when things happen to me. And so I was able to kind of dig back into those and look for uh, what was most helpful was, was things people had said to me when I had gone through a, a particularly bumpy breakup. Uh, a friend of mine sent me a card, and all of it said on the back was, uh, hey, I heard this happened, head straight into it and laugh your fool head off. And I thought, that's going, that should probably make it. And so we, you know, I I used that as a signifier for the warlock saying, you know, this is dark magic, don't do this. Grief isn't something you fix with magic. Magic is reserved for other things. This is something you just head straight into and you cry your eyes out. And so that made it, and... What was very gratifying was when the episode aired, I saw that as a gif. And I thought, oh, that's maybe helpful to someone. So I spent some time in the scripting, going off and getting real sad. And then I, you know, I sort of, I talked to my mom for a minute about coming out of the closet. And i like, I don't want to drag that up. But it was good to to do that. It was a very different story that we were telling in there. So I... Did that, but I also what was nice is that um, I did call my sister, and the the sister brother relationship in that episode is it's pretty funny how it works out, and so it was nice to kind of giggle with my sister about it, and then go, okay, I'm going to take this energy and bring it into this. Uh, I spend a lot of time cleaning when I write. I my house is never cleaner than when I have a deadline, but for me, there is something about making things go from one state to another and talking out loud at the same time that generates a ton of material. I have a lot of imaginary conversations in my head. I spend a lot of time for myself trying to feel like the characters feel. When you're doing it for television, you didn't create the characters. They didn't come from you, they're someone else's creation. And doubly, you're always, particularly when you're on a show that is an adaptation, you're trying to give service to the original source material at the same time. So you can't stray too far, but getting to know that character, you do spend a lot of time with them and you do develop these kind of irrational feelings for them. I have a huge crush on, on the warlock character. Like, I, I, he is great. Um, you, you try to sort of do them justice in some way. And so writing for television, the process is a little bit, it's that same process for me where in the back of your head, you hear the actor. And I think that that's very helpful to the show in some way. It's also kind of a, Pitfall, because I can imagine that actor saying that it still doesn't sound like the show. And I and I think what I learned from Shadowhunters specifically was the the tone of a show is a very delicate balance. You go too far outside of it, and you you can tell that it's off. But if you don't go far enough, it feels flat and staid and a little bit quiet. I build in a bit of procrastination for myself. I I teach this now. I teach. Uh, a plan of attack, that if you sit down and you write, here are all the things I have to do, um, down to a very minute list, uh, and then you keep that list updated as you're writing, and you say, well, I have to go back and make sure I tied up this loose end, and I just changed this to the end, so I have to fix the beginning. Um, If you keep that running tally, the night before is going to be when all that stuff gets done. I work very well at the 11th hour. I spend a lot of time fighting with myself about that fact, but I, I do need a certain amount of time to not be in the world. I, I think my brain needs a reset, several in between, and so I'll break it up into, okay, well, I'm going to write the first two acts and then I'm not going to work on it until tomorrow. What I'm finding is if I build a day of rest that I can chop up into small sections throughout the process, then I'm pretty good at getting it all done on time. I sent the script in. At six p.m., I think on a Monday. The next morning, I was I got up. There was no note, and I was like, "Oh, no one read it, or or they didn't like it." There's going to be a bunch of notes. Oh, and I was le- I got dressed. I was leaving for work, and my phone dinged, and I looked down, and it was an email from the showrunner, and it just said, "You killed it." And I thought, "Oh, thank God." I mean, there and there were issues with it. There was there were notes, and uh, again, I had written a crazy gingerbread witch that they needed to tone down some, but that that was enormously gratifying, and and they let me do the rewrite, which was nice because I was a staff writer, and usually that's handed to someone else to do a few polishes on it. They they did a pass after I did mine. They also sent me to Toronto to film it, so I got to sit with the director, this amazing director named uh, Sally Richardson Whitfield. Uh, she got it every part of it. She made that script a hell of a lot better. But what's what's fun about that process too is that when you're when you're there as a writer and you're and you're on set and you watch something not work you do have to call it in and say, hey, we all, you know, hit our heads against this one. We have 10 minutes to fix it or we can't. Are you okay with this change or this change? And they said yes, no, or do it this way, or wait, what's the objection? Explain this to me. That skill is enormously instructive towards writing the next script because you get very clear about what works on paper and what has to come out of someone's mouth. To me, there are things that work in a novel that... That won't translate to television. And and one of those things is you're not inside their heads in a way that is so intimate. In a novel, you can have all these crazy nuanced feelings about things, and on television, you've got five minutes tops in an hour-long episode to try and convey that feeling. For example, in the books, um, Clary, for the longest time, she falls in love with Jace, and then she finds out Jace is her brother. And over many books, this plays out, and then they find out they're not siblings. That in a novel, when you're in their heads, you you understand all the ins and outs of it. On television, it's just two people who might be siblings. How much do I want to give to their feelings for each other when the audience thinks they might be siblings? In a novel, you can do it. You can You can dive in. It's complicated, team as are we all on television there's so much complication before it just gets a little spooky for me f- finding how much i rely on other people in a collaborative part as a, in a collaborative environment as a writer as opposed to when i'm writing something on my own i've now become much more de- much more dependent on a writers group i've become much more dependent on hearing someone else Feedback towards what it what it is that I've written, it's made me much less precious about critique than I ever was before. Um, and I think some of that is just the entry point to television is that your your job sort of becomes on the line in any TV writer's room. You you do want to keep up, you do want to make sure that you're bringing ideas and and being a person that brings value to that room, but. What it's done to my own process has made me much more willing to accept that I'm wrong. It's taught me that if I am immediately defensive about an idea, that I should consider the idea. Um, That I'm most defensive about things that are probably correct. This episode really did, because it was such a huge kind of career jump for me, it, it made me so conscious of all the ways that I get in my own way, all the ways that you don't have time to when you are on a deadline that is not only your job, it's everyone else's job to meet their deadline that is someone else's deadline. And writing doesn't always work that way. And, and what a joy that it doesn't. But when it does, you have to have a process for getting through it. And this definitely taught me that.
0: The Write Process is produced by me, Charlie Jensen, at the UCLA Extension Studio. Audio support and editing were provided by Jamie Moss, Eileen Keegan, and Hannah Sutherland. For more information on the Writers Program, visit writers.uclaextension.edu.